8th of May, 1980, the World Health Organization published a report. It stated solemnly that the world and its peoples have won freedom from smallpox, which was a most devastating disease, sweeping in epidemic form through many countries since earliest time, leaving death, blindness and disfigurement in its wake, and which only a decade ago was rampant in Africa, Asia and South America. Smallpox was the first infectious disease to be completely eradicated, and to date it is the only one. However, human monkeypox continues to cause infections, and smallpox has the potential to be used as a biological weapon. So we cannot let down our guard. To help us stay vigilant, I'm glad that we have a real expert to hand. Dr. Tom Blanchard is consultant in infectious diseases at the Department of Infectious Diseases and Tropical Medicine at the Royal Liverpool Hospital. So, welcome, Tom. And could we start off by asking you, what exactly are these diseases? Pox viruses, to a pox virologist like myself, are really interesting viruses. They're, they're very large DNA viruses which can replicate in the cytoplasm of cells. So unlike most viruses, they don't replicate in the nucleus. And they're characterized by smallpox, which has many virulence factors and was a very aggressive virus with mortality rate of up to 50% from the major form of the virus, variola major. However, in fact, there's a family of viruses which are all related. The original vaccine for smallpox was derived from probably cowpox virus, but when it was processed by Edward Jenner and subsequent doctors and vaccinologists, it became vaccinia virus, which isn't exactly the same as cowpox, but was a very efficacious vaccine, but probably not terribly safe in today's terms. There are other pox viruses, one of which you've just mentioned, Kieran, which is monkeypox which is pretty closely allied to smallpox, but isn't nearly as lethal and seems to exist mainly in an animal reservoir. Interestingly, not really of monkeys, although that was where it was first discovered in the 50s, but probably in African rats, Gambian rats and African squirrels, rodents. Um, And it only intermittently gets into humans But when it does get into humans, it can pass from person to person. And like smallpox, it can be fatal, but is much less commonly so. There are other pox viruses as well. You name it, there's a pox virus for it. There's camel pox, there's elephant pox. But these don't really get into humans. The human viruses are smallpox, monkeypox and vaccinia virus, the, the vaccine virus. Okay, great. And sticking to those um, viruses that can affect humans, I wonder how would you recognize an affected patient? What are the symptoms and signs? So the classical thing which people look for are the actual pox lesions themselves. These are, in the case of smallpox, rather firm, rounded lesions, blisters if you like, maybe with some central umbilication if they've been around for a while. They're all at the same stage of development in smallpox. They occur more on the peripheries of the body, so they're centrifugal 
rather than centripetal, and they're accompanied by a severe systemic illness. The systemic illness precedes the development of the rash by a few days, um, and it consists of very strong myalgia and back pain and prostration, maybe a sore throat as well, high fever. So the thing which points you to these viruses also is is the history of the patient, where they've been and who they've been in contact with. Now, smallpox doesn't exist currently except in laboratories in the States and in Russia. If it was to be used as a bioterror weapon, it may not be entirely clear where it's come from, but one would expect an outbreak of several people affected, presenting with pox lesions and being very sick. In terms of monkeypox, it looks very similar to smallpox, but it is a less aggressive virus. And unlike smallpox, the patient tends to have regional lymphadenopathy, so enlarged lymph nodes maybe in their armpits or their neck, um, according to where the pox lesions are. They can be of different ages in monkeypox. Vaccinia virus, there'll be a history of vaccination. The patient who's been vaccinated can spread the vaccine virus to colleagues or family members. So that there should be some story that somebody's had vaccinia virus. And the, the, the virus tends to spread in people who are immunosuppressed or who have widespread eczema. In the case of monkeypox, you might get a history of exposure to animals, particularly African rodents, or there may be a history of contact with somebody with monkeypox during a monkeypox outbreak, such as we've recently had in the UK. Okay, thank you. That's a very helpful, comprehensive answer. And having taken a history and examined the patient, I wonder what tests might you request? Well, most physicians shouldn't be requesting the tests. If you suspect the diagnosis, you should be referring the patient on to a high containment unit, which is used to dealing with high consequence infectious diseases where the tests will be done. It's actually, you know, dangerous to do the test on the patient because you're exposing yourself to the patient as you do this. But the tests which the regional or national infectious disease service would do would be to take material from the skin lesions and put it on a swab, send it to the laboratory for polymerase chain reaction and perform similar procedures with a throat swab, take blood into EDTA, send that for PCR and also take a urine sample and take that for PCR polymerase chain reaction and any or all of those specimens will show up positive on a a polymerase chain reaction in which universal primers are used suitable for pox viruses and at the same time they'll run tests to make sure that it's not one of the mimics of pox viruses like for example varicella zoster virus. Okay, great, thank you. And you've partly answered my next question about referral. Um, You mentioned that referral is necessary. How urgent should you refer and and where should you refer the patient? Well, it it is an urgent referral. 
before you've referred the patient, you should ask them to stay in a single room away from other patients just to self-isolate whilst you make all the phone calls. Um, so the patient shouldn't be sitting in a busy general practice waiting room, for example, but should be asked to go into a room on their own. And that then the referral would be made to the Regional Infectious Diseases Service who will guide you. In the UK, there's a system centred on something called the IFS, the um, Imported Fever Service, and they will guide you where you should send the patient and coordinate a special ambulance to come and pick the patient up with, with, with the ambulance workers wearing personal protective equipment. Okay, great, thank you. And I'm guessing that the patient and the disease needs to be reported. Is is that correct also? Yes, that's absolutely correct. If smallpox is suspected, then this has to be reported at a national level to the World Health Organization. You know, it's an international emergency. Monkeypox, not so. But these diseases aren't reported until there's sufficient evidence usually in terms of genetic testing, uh, you know, a polymerase chain reaction with confirmation, because most cases of suspected pox virus infections will be chicken pox or herpes simplex or a drug reaction. So you don't want to set a cascade of events in process unnecessarily. Okay, great. Thank you. And Tell us about differential diagnosis. What are the differentials and how can you tell pox viruses apart from them? Okay, the common differentials are things like chicken pox, Varicella zoster virus. Recently in our outbreak in the northwest of England, we've had a patient present with pustules and they turned out to be herpes simplex. So that's another on the differential. Drug reactions, Stevens-Johnson syndrome, those are the common things. And Coxsackie virus, hand, foot and mouth disease, that can give you peripheral pus-filled blisters. Those would be the common differential diagnoses. Top of the list, though, is chicken pox. Okay, great. Thank you. And, and what are the common pitfalls, I wonder, in the diagnosis and management of pox viruses? The most common pitfall is not thinking about it and not isolating the patient. If it's vaccinia, then the, the isolation is minor. But for monkeypox or suspected smallpox, the, the isolation is very significant and very important. And if you don't isolate the patient promptly, you'll find yourself in or your hospital will, will find itself in the headlines for having permitted transmission of these viruses. And that's exactly what happened recently. The difficulty is making sure that particularly healthcare workers are wearing proper personal protective equipment. So it's being alert to the diagnosis. It's not sufficient just to wear gloves and an apron, although that's certainly a start. You need to wear an all-over body protection. You have to have an FFP3 face mask, a face visor, and you need help both dressing and undressing in this equipment so that you are fully protected and you need the patient in a negative pressure room 
with an adjacent room where medical staff and nursing staff can change and get ready. It's quite an involved procedure. Putting on proper personal protective equipment requires training and expertise. And uh, for instance, you end up wearing three pairs of gloves over each other with those gloves taped in place to protect yourself and not wearing ordinary footwear, but Wellington boots. And those have to be changed as soon as you go in and out of the room so that there's a whole skill set to doing this properly. Okay, great. Thank you. And what other questions do you typically get asked about this disease by doctors? And what are the answers to these questions? Okay, well, is there a vaccine? That's one of the first questions. And the answer is yes. The old-fashioned smallpox vaccine does protect against smallpox and and probably against monkeypox as well, but is not a very nice vaccine. It's a live replicating vaccine, causes problems in immunosuppressed people and can cause encephalitis and other complications. So, in fact, we don't use the old-fashioned smallpox vaccine at all anymore. We use instead modified vaccinia ankara, which is an attenuated form of vaccinia, which has been passed through chick embryo fibroblasts about 500 odd times. And during that process has become unable to replicate in live humans, but will just replicate in the chick embryo fibroblasts that are used to grow the vaccine virus. And, And this doesn't seem to produce any significant problems apart from a slightly sore arm and a mild fever when people are injected intramuscularly with it. So it's a very safe vaccine and it's been given to over 100,000 people at the end of the smallpox eradication campaign. It's not exactly the same as the old-fashioned smallpox vaccine and it's never been used when smallpox was widely circulating but it is assumed to be just as effective um, as smallpox vaccine, the old-fashioned vaccinia virus, and is certainly a lot, lot safer. The other question that we're asked is, you know, is there any treatment available? And again, again, there are treatments available now, largely experimental, but they are available. In the case of smallpox, there's a drug called tecovirimat, which prevents virus uncoating or interferes with virus uncoating and seems to work in primate models, but has never been tested in humans. And there's a drug called sidofovir, which seems to have antiviral effects, but it's not a particularly nice drug and has recently been upgraded to a a related compound called brin sidofovir. And this is what we've used in our current patient here in Liverpool and it certainly seems to have helped him clear his viremia and become less infectious. It's difficult. These medicines haven't been used in controlled clinical trials and that they do have their own drawbacks such as brinsidofovir can cause deranged liver enzymes but the deranged liver enzymes don't seem to be particularly harmful. Okay, thank you. That's very helpful and and comprehensive. And last question now. I I wonder if you had one single piece of advice 
to give to a healthcare professional about pox viruses? I wonder what would it be? Well, I think it's to think about it. Just let the possibility cross your mind if you have somebody with an unusual rash which is affecting the face and hands and feet more than the the trunk of a person and they're significantly sicker than you'd expect. And if there's any history of contact or travel to known reservoirs uh, of pox virus infection, so Central and West Africa particularly. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Tom. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognise, report and refer affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning and look at the content on this and other series, Infectious Diseases. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.